Let's be real. Dealing with tangled cords can make it harder to do your hair. Break free with the new Unbound Cordless Auto Curler from Conair. Get the curls and waves you want, anytime, anywhere. It's designed to let you experience the power and freedom of beauty in motion. No cords to hold you back. You get your curls and waves your way. Unplug and be unbound. Loose curls, tight curls, beachy waves. The Unbound Cordless Auto Curler makes it easy to get the looks you love. Love your look. Live Unbound. Available at conair.com and search Unbound. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt, als wär's sein Rhythmus. Als gäbe sein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Hello and welcome to Gagan Pressing, the Bundesliga podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Bryce Dunn. And joining me, as always, is Chris Williams. Chris, how's your week been? Well, it's been two weeks, Bryce, because I wasn't here last week. Um, oh, I've had God, no internet, yeah. so. It's been a bit bad. So, yeah, um, I've had to speak to my family, um, go out and do things. So, yeah, the reason I couldn't be here last week is because I was moving house and I had no internet and it's still not on. So I'm in work at the moment, uh, what, 10 past 10, Monday night in the UK. So, um, yeah, it's been a long week. I think it'll be an even longer week this week as well. But apart from that, I'm fine. <laughs> well, that's good to hear. Yeah, we've all been through that nightmare of switching over, haven't we? But joining Chris and I, is Manu Vett. Manu, how have you been? Yeah, you know, we just talked about five minutes ago. <laughs> on the, yeah, for well over an hour. Recording, recording Golazzo um, on a new schedule, of course. But yeah, I'm good. It's uh, I'm excited. We have some really interesting topics. Um, we had some news drop on us um, just, I guess, an hour or so ago. So something to discuss. And um, I get to discuss a little bit of 1860 today. So I'm excited about that as well. Yes, most certainly. And let's start off with 1860. Let's, uh, let's move right in there. Um, I have a feeling that Chris and I won't have much to say about this. So, um, the, the floor is yours, Manu. Um, I believe that 1860 were playing, uh, Byron's second side. Um, mm. well, go ahead. Tell, tell us how that went. Uh, and how, how 1860 are actually getting on this season. Um, we know that last year they were in, uh, the, well, the second division and the second tier in Germany, but after uh, financial issues, they got dropped down uh, somewhat further into the fourth tier, didn't they? Yeah, I guess the last time we spoke about 1860, things were really dire. And um, I think the best way to describe it is renaissance um, when it comes to what has been going on. Of course, talk about the derby. Um, the Stadt Derby, as Chris rightfully put it on the tweet, um, in a moment. And that result wasn't great for 1860, but you know, they're, they're first in that division. They're six points ahead of second placed Ingolstadt too. Um, so Ingolstadt's reserve side who have no aspirations whatsoever to go up. So that's, um, looking really good. They're 16 points ahead of Bayern's second side who are a team that wants to go up because Bayern are massively restructuring their youth setup. And they're, um, I think 12 or 15 points ahead of Schweinfurt, where they are the other, one of the other favorites, um, to go up from this Regionalliga Bayern to the third division, which is, of course, where 1861 to get to as quickly as possible because of that bottleneck, right? You have to play, um, you have to not only win your league to go up, um, but you also have to then win a playoff against one of the teams of the other four, um, Four regionalligas, uh, five regionalligas, um, that determine, you know, regionalligas, uh, Südwest, which, because it's the largest by population, has the, the first to make the playoffs, which then gets us to six playoff spots altogether, uh, that determines three promotion teams. So in the league, it's doing, going very well. Um, they have lost only, uh, three games, um, tied one and won the entire rest of them. They're playing in the Grünwalder Stadium, which is the, the home uh, of the of the team in Giesing, um, which is probably the reason for the Renaissance. They're averaging every game is sold out pretty much. You have to be a member or a season ticket holder to get tickets for 1860 these days. Um, I've mentioned to you on a WhatsApp chat that their t- the cheapest ticket is actually cheap. It's actually more expensive than Bayern's cheapest ticket at the moment because of supply and demand. 
So in that regard, things have gone really well. They have um, negotiated a single television deal for this division. They can because they're no longer part of the DFL, um, which gives them actually more television money than they get in in the upper divisions, which is crazy. I, I heard somewhere that the TV number for this game on the weekend was 250,000 viewers, um, which is solid. It's very good. And so things have been going very well um, in the Regionalliga. And they, it has a sort of allowed them to um, get away from the Allianz Arena and trying to be an FC Bayern München light towards re recreating their own identity and like refining and uncovering their like kind of working class uh, identity that, that they had for so many years. And um, it's sort of, that's why I'm saying Renaissance. Of course, um, I think in order for that to work long-term, they need promotion. Um, they need to get out of this league as quickly as possible. Liga 3 is third division is probably would be a good home for them to continue this restructuring over going forward to get, to find a solution for the stadium, for example, because they cannot play in the second division in the way the Grünwald Stadion is right now. They need to find a solution. So, um, I think Liga 3 would be a good place to continue that. So they need to get out. But, um, about this game, of course, this was the first time 1860's first side played a any Bayern team since 2008, where they were eliminated in the quarterfinal by, by Bayern. Um, on a questionable Tony Kroos penalty, Ribéry dived in the box. I, I remember this game well. And you will say now, oh, you're an 1860 fan. That's why he's saying dive. Go back, watch the replays. It was a dive. There was no penalty. Um, that was the last encounter between the two sides. And we hadn't had a real Munich derby since. And uh, so there was a lot of talk about, was this uh, an actual Munich derby now on the weekend? Was it not? Well, I tell you that the way um, both sides took it, it was uh, there was a substantial amount of Bayern fans, 1,200 Bayern fans in the stadium, made a lot of noise, uh, nice choreography by them as well. So kudos to them. And Bayern's reserve side won this game 1-0, sadly. Um, deservedly, I thought they were better on that particular match day. And, um, you know, there was a real buzz around this game. And it shows you that there is... Um, a real sense or a real nostalgia to the good old days of the 1990s and 2000s when this was a real derby between the two big sides. Uh, 1860 used to be a big side in German football. Still are when you just take the fans uh, into account. So I think um, taking what I took away from this game in particular is the fact that I want the real derby very soon, possibly soon, um, at least in my lifetime. And I think there's a good chance of that. But um, it, it gave a real sense of nostalgia, for sure. Well, Manu, you, you've talked about um, you and uh, Chris, and hopefully myself, you will be over in uh, Germany in mm. the next few months, uh, but you, you certainly will be. Uh, you've booked your flights and everything, but are, are you planning to see some 1860 games while you're there, and will you be doing a uh, reporting on behalf of uh, Football Grand? Yeah, we are. Um, Monday, November 20th, I think is the date. Uh, that's the, the first game I'm going to see. And then, uh, of course, this is actually a, a game I'm taking my old man to. Um, he's an 1860 fan as well. So I'm excited because it's been over 20 years that we have been together at the Greenwalder Stadion in a game. Uh, so um, I'm really excited to take him. And then, uh, so I'm going as a fan, not as a reporter. Um, we, I am going to report of the experience, but I am going first and foremost as a fan. But then there's a game, I think, a week after that, that's also a home game at the, the Grünwald. And we're, we're going to make sure we get accreditation for that one and um, cover that game as well. Very good. And as exciting as all that is, I think it's about time we bring Chris Williams into the mix <laughs> and we talk about, uh, well, we'll talk about the Bundesliga, I think, to be fair. I th no no disrespect, Manu, but I think most of the listeners will be <laughs> tuning in to hear that. Um, so, yes, let's go up to the top flights. And a bit of big news uh, today, which we'll go straight to Chris to talk about, um, was uh, coming out of Cologne. No, they haven't sacked uh, Peter Stuger, uh, which um, some people were talking that might be the case pretty soon after another uh, loss. Um, it's actually Jörg Smatska who has uh, who's left them, uh, the sporting director. Some people would know him uh, for his uh, playing career as a goalkeeper with uh, Fortuna Dusseldorf and I believe... He was at Leverkusen, but didn't play at Freiburg. Sorry about that. Um, but yeah, um, he's left. Uh, Chris, do, do you think this means that possibly a Stuga will get, uh, it'll, well, it'll buy him more time? 
may do. It may do. I mean, if you read around what's been said in Germany this afternoon, he said to have left because he'd expressed dissatisfaction over the direction the club was taking. So maybe the the direction the club is taking is keeping Stoger and he wasn't happy about that. And maybe he was told, you know, he's not going and, and therefore he has, um, he's, he's left. Um, you would argue that normally it's a good indication that a coach is staying if the sporting director or one of the management side goes before the coach. You'd argue that the coach would stay. I think we saw um, last season, especially at um, Dortmund, uh, you know, there was a lot of disagreement around and it was Thomas Tuchel who bit the bullet. Um, I would have expected Stoger to go the same way, but he's uh, managed to manage to stay. And we've said a couple of times on this podcast, and I think we said it two weeks ago, that maybe, just maybe, this is what Cologne need. The last thing they need is a change of personnel when they're still deep rooted in, you know, in the brown sticky stuff as they are at the moment. It might just be a little too early to change the manager because they change the sorry if they change the head coach they change the head coach right now, um, and it doesn't have their required lift. Where do they go from there? Um, so with um, Schmacker having his contract terminated, I think this may have just bought Stoger a few more weeks, maybe until the end of the um, first part of the season. So I'd expect if Cologne is still deep rooted to the bottom of the table as we enter the Christmas break, um, he will go very quickly. Um, but who's going to come in? That's a question. There's been a lot of um, talk over the last couple of days uh, on on who could come in, hasn't the Bryce? So. You know, there's one particular person, and uh, and that is um, Schalke's ex-head coach, um, who had very similar problems this time last season. So I don't know if he would be the right answer. No, that that's it. I mean, maybe not an ideal uh, man to get in. Um, Manu, do do you think do you think it's that? Um Possibly uh, this departure is uh, due to your transfers in the summer. I mean, we've, we've talked about Cordoba having uh, potential to, to be a very good player, but he, he was never going to be an out-and-out goal scorer, uh, never has been. And, you know, obviously with Modeska leaving, you know, the, there's still that big hole in the side. And do you think that maybe just um, the players that he brought in weren't good enough and it's, it's left to Stuger and the rest of the team, uh, well, in this position? Yeah, it's, it's it's a difficult one, Bryce. Um, I, I'm just reading into all in the news that are coming out, but um, Schmatke is is a hothead a little bit. He um, is the kind of guy who who will say, "Well, if we don't do it a certain way, then I will just um, then I will just like." throw the towel and leave and i guess maybe they they said okay well that's it you know you're done um but maybe to answer your question i think the big issue has been really that it's it's it that schmutke hasn't landed any of the 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 transfers the the transfer targets that they needed right and that they they sold antoni monteste in the summer and didn't really bring in a replacement um john cordoba is is i still think he's a good signing but he is the sort of player who was very different. I think he would have worked well in concert with Modeste, but not as an individual. And then you see a long list of players that Schmatke targeted and couldn't sign. And I think that is really an issue. Um, but at the same time, I'm, I'm not sure whether, and I think Chris, we've talked about this is, um, this is the kind of earthquake that the club doesn't need at the moment. Is this, is this a good decision to let someone go at this situation? Because, um, it's not like a sporting director, new sporting director can do anything right now. I mean, yes, they sign a new sporting director, but what's going to happen? It's not like they can make any transfers. They can't sign anyone. So I think that the timing of it is a little odd. Um, I think it was clear that something was going to happen. Um, I think I personally thought maybe um, they're going to replace Stöger uh, for another coach, and that still could happen. Um, the the obvious one would have been that Stöger would take the position of the Austrian national team, uh, which would have been an easy out, right? And um, rather than being straight up fired, send him on to... A, promote him to uh, let him go to a better position or what seemed as a better position and 
um, allow the team to have a new impulse. And this would have been a good way to do it without a major earthquake, without shaking the foundation too much. But I don't know. Um, Schmatke, the way this is, seems to be separated, and I hear two different um, stories coming out of Köln too. The one story is that he, he defended Stöger till the end and um, this that there was a disagreement of how to go forward and that's why he was let go. But the other one is that um, Stöger and Schmatke disagreed over transfers. So I guess... Um, this could be potentially really bad news for Stöger or it could be potentially um, a way to strengthen Stöger going forward. Yeah, it'll definitely be interesting to see how the next few weeks pan out and whether fortunes can change there. Manu, you, you spoke about um, the game on uh, Friday as they took on... Uh, you've expressed uh, a few times, actually, that you don't think that the Werner Bremen team are, uh, well, coached by the right man either. Um and how did this game go down? Ooh. What did Constantine say? Note against Eland. Um, such a hard one to translate. Poor against worse. Uh, I guess anyone has seen Goyasi's missed chance by now. I think that um, really brings us down to where Schmatke maybe made his biggest mistake in the summer. And I mean, Chris, this is something we talked to many times he didn't he didn't manage to sign a replacement for Modeste and Goyasi was one of those guys that they internally labeled as a potential replacement for Modeste you know someone who they already had and didn't play very much because of injuries last season um, but he missed a chance from five meters out um, go watch the replay but he basically just needs to tap it in and uh, he doesn't put it over the net or on the, he's on the right side of the net, uh, doesn't put it on the right side of the net, but he actually manages to put it over, over on the left side. Um, you know, this is hard to describe. Watch it. You'll see what I mean. It's basically, uh, it was harder to miss it that way than to put it over the line. And I think that's really where it comes down to, right? Is that they did not sign another Modeste this summer. And that, in Germany, that is the job of the sporting director. Yeah. I, th- I, I think it's actually come down to Chris. You mentioned a few weeks ago uh, that all of a sudden it can become 10 games and Cologne still won't have picked up a victory. They're sat on uh, two points only after that uh, draw to Werner Bremen, who are second from bottom. Uh, I personally agree with you, Chris, and think that the next game against Bayer Leverkusen away from home uh, this coming weekend, I think that's do or die. I, th- I think if fortunes don't change now, it it may just be a little too late. Chris, would you agree with that? Well, yeah, for me, that's the magic figure, 10 games in. And if they come out of next weekend, um, played 10, let's say, for instance, they get beat 2-0, they'll have played 10, they'll be on a negative goal difference of 16, which is massive. Um, we saw how tight the table was last season, um, both top and bottom, um, and competition for European places and relegation playoff places. It can come down to, you know, goal difference. Um, and that is, well, if you're going to be down 16 points, sorry, if you're going to be on a, on a minus of, let's say, 16 after 10 games and two points, mm. it's a lot. It's now getting a real big gap to, um, 15th, which is, you know, safety in essence. Um, and they're looking that they're going to have to go on maybe three, um, maybe three games, uh, unbeaten run, but not unbeaten. It'll be three winning runs. And then they're having to hope that Werder Bremen, Hamburg, Freiburg, Wolfsburg, Stuttgart all drop points. So all of a sudden it's what, no, early November when they play again almost. And, and yeah, it's, it's a dire situation because we've only got four weeks or maybe four or five weeks until we break for Christmas. And if they're rock solid to the bottom of the table when we come out of the winter break, um, there's a lot of pressure on there. And I don't know if they have the mental capacity at the moment watching them play lately, both in Europe and the Bundesliga. I don't think they've got the mental capacity to drag themselves out. So I'm pretty much with you, Bryce. I think if they come out of the 10th game um, with no victory, um, I, I think it's looking really, really bad for them. Um, and we could know who the first casualty this season will be. Yeah, may I just say that the 11th game is against Hoffenheim as well. So the, the, it, it just heightens the importance of winning that Leverkusen game as well. And Manu, uh, t- talking about uh, Werner Bremen as as well, I mean, they're they're down there as well in 17th. They've failed to pick up a, a victory this season. Mm. They've obviously got five points instead of two compared to Cologne. But 
things are looking as grim as ever for them. Um, do, do you see if, well, if another week goes by and neither of these teams pick up uh, victories, that's just like Chris and I said about Cologne, that, that it may be both teams are actually uh, going to be casualties to, to, uh, to relegation. Yeah, I think there's a very different situation in Bremen than in Köln. Um, I think in Köln they have understood the, how, how bad the situation is. And in Bremen, they are sitting, uh, you know, Constantine and I talked about this last week. Bremen has, has always hired within. There's, um, a saying, the Werder Familie in Bremen. It's, um, a bit like the mafia. They only hire people that are part of the family and um, Nuri is part of that family, but it means there's very little impulses from outside, which has hurt the club really since the mid 2000s where they were had the heyday, the last heyday. And, and I think that the way Bremen run as a club, they, they are almost so self-congratulatory about um, Nuri and uh, the, the management Baumann and um, Bode, who, you know, were part of this Werder family, um, they don't really see how dire the situation is. And because they don't have anyone from outside come in, you know, clubs are like, clubs are like companies. Every once in a while, you need an impulse from outside to sort of just give yourself a reality check. And uh, Bremen, you really hadn't had that in a long time. And it manifests itself with the situation with Nuri. I think that Nuri is one of the most overrated coaches in the Bundesliga. I personally don't think he's a Bundesliga coach. I don't think he has the level and it's showing in this season. And um, for some odd reason, the people that are working with him, the sporting director and the uh, CEO, um, so that would be Bode and uh, Baumann, um, they don't seem to get that. Um, they don't seem to see it, whereas everyone else in this league is seeing it. So I, I can see them, you know, huffing and puffing along for quite a long time until it's almost too late. Whereas of Köln, it's it's such a different situation because they have done everything right. It's it's so weird because last season they were they were doing so well, and um, it's almost like the they they made one transfer to sell Modeste and everything is just falling apart for them. They were shocking in the Europa League. And I think considering where Köln was there a few years ago, they just they, they were always such a chaotic club. And right now, um I, I'm worried that they can fall back into this kind of pattern and uh, become like that again. And then it would be very difficult to get themselves out of this situation. But it's it's two situations very difficult to compare, but that could lead to completely two different um, scenarios uh, in terms of what's will happening to the head coach. Yeah, very much so. But guys, I, I feel we've talked negatively enough. Let's let's talk about positive things that have been happening in the Bundesliga recently. And let's talk about Schalke. Uh, they've been on a, a bit of a run at the moment. Last three games, may I say, out of nine points, they've picked up seven. And this week, they managed to beat Mainz uh, 2-0 in the Friday night game. Uh, did we slightly underestimate uh, Tedesco, uh, Chris? I mean, he's obviously made quite the leap. He didn't have many games under his belt um, in dry Bundesliga, but he, he's jumped up to uh, Bundesliga and he's, he's doing OK at the moment, isn't he? Yeah, yes. I think I famously said he would be sacked by match day five. So um, that's me now looking a fool. We're on match day nine, um, you know, and they're playing some good football. They're in fifth slot, um, and they they're on the rise. And I think Hoffenheim will be looking down their necks nervously. I certainly didn't expect Schalke to be at where they were, um, and you can only praise them for um, acting the way they did. And you know, they had the the big game on Friday, which also sets the tone for the rest of the weekend. And yeah, they came out of um, of a good win by Mainz, who are also um, have shocked me a little bit as well. I really did expect where Cologne and Bremen are um, at the moment. I expected that would be um, Mainz and Augsburg rooted to those bottom two slots, um, and then maybe one of four uh, for 16th place. So, uh, so yeah, Mainz have surprised me, but Schalke most definitely have surprised me. And they're playing really good football as well. I think that's what a lot of people a little surprised about maybe we were blinkered because of the start they had last season which was just so horrendous a start um, until they got that big win but I, I think it's really worked for them on occasion it's it's this one um, pivot that they're playing uh, you know in the defensive midfielder that's feeding the the four midfielders and 
you know, Bergstaller scored again, our man. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just got a lot of a lot of good things to say about them at the moment. And, you know, the likes of um, Koke, although he's not been playing as much as he could have done, he he's, he's not getting a start at the moment. So it shows, as neither is Bentaleb, so it shows the level of competition within that squad. And um, I think at the moment, this is maybe a little bit like Hoffenheim. They're a... Um, the parts are, you know, the parts are greater than the sum. Is that the correct saying for it? That if you look at the players individually, you may not expect them to be where they are, but at the moment they're a good team unit. And we saw last season with um, Freiburg and with Cologne that if you've got a good team unit, you can do really well in this league. So, uh, to answer your question, yes, I think we did underestimate Schalke, um, and I'm certainly going to be looking forward uh, to the derby match when that comes because I think it's going to be two teams at a similar sort of level as we speak at this moment. Yeah, that'll be very exciting. It always is, isn't it? Manu, let, let's talk about one of those parts that um, Chris mentioned in Leon Goretzka. He he really is um, quite the asset for them. And yeah, one of the real rising stars in German football at the moment. Yeah, Leon Goretzka is great. Um, he scored a fantastic goal this weekend. And he, he's maybe one of, the reasons um, why Schalke are doing as well, of course, Bockstaller, Chris mentioned him um, scoring again. And it's hard to believe that there's some people out there who thought he was a bad signing for the club. He's been phenomenal. He's been consistent uh, ever since he joined the team. He's um, a great striker. But Goretzka, he's for me, he's the standout in the squad. And um, he's the sort of player that really makes a difference. Um, you know, he's... He's been this, he's been compared to all sorts of players. Um, I think, uh, it was Dave Hendricks who compared him to, to Stefan Effenberg. And uh, although he doesn't have those antics, it's, it's his presence on the field is very similar. Um, he's just a powerful forward who can score very good goals. I mean, he was very good at the Confederations Cup for Germany. He's been fantastic this season. And I think he's a star in the making. He's still so young. He's, but he shows so much leadership. And um, I think that really gets us to that next topic, isn't it? Are Schalke going to be able to keep him? Well, Chris, uh, we'll, we'll put that question to you. Do you think they'd be able to keep him long term? Do you think they'd need to finish in the likes of the Champions League to be able to sway him um, you know, to, to decide to stay in the, in the summer? Because I'm sure, especially if he's taken to the World Cup and he has a good tournament on top of having a good league season, many, many people are going to come and knock him. Yeah, I think we have to remember that Schalke have traditionally, over the last few seasons, been one of those top four clubs, uh, you know, that routinely makes the Champions League or um, at least the European places. And because of a bad season last season, that's not happened. So, yes, I do think they need to offer um, the likes of Gozeka um, and uh, Max Meyer as well, and some way um, Bergstaller and Koke and Kopenjanka. They all need to be playing European football. Um, so if Schalke can't offer them that, I don't know if the likes of Gutzaka are going to be able to take another season out of Europe, especially if you know he's been consistently linked to clubs like Bayern. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been linked to teams in um, in the Premier League as well. Jurgen Klopp's keeping a good eye on him if you um, go by the English press at the moment. Manchester City is supposed to have some sort of sniffing interest as well. So... He is attracting those sorts of um, larger teams. Now, whether he wants to move outside of the Bundesliga, whether you know he thinks he's ready to do that, he's only 22, but Sane's made the jump quite well um, to a- another league. I think it's it's essential that if Schalke have any ambitions of, of getting back into that top four, um, cementing themselves in, in that sort of place, they need to be able to keep hold of the talent or adequately and I don't know if you can find someone like Leon Gutzecker who you can replace as quickly um, so it's it's going to be hard for them especially if he has a good World Cup that can be the catalyst for many a team to come in and then you're going to be start saying oh he's currently valued around about you know 23 25 million euros if someone comes in and offers you 35 40 are Schalke going to turn that down he's especially a free agent Chris He's a free agent. He's a free agent. Mm. Okay, so that's even worse mm. um, for Schalke. Of course, he's going to be out of contract, isn't he? Mm. Um, yeah, it's going to be the 30... Well, yeah, he's out of contract at the end of the season. So, yeah, he... Um, I, I'm going to see he's going to be real unlikely that he will stay. 
um, unless they can offer him Champions League football. Depends how happy he is. Yeah. He might be very happy. He might not want to make that jump so soon because if he makes that jump and it doesn't work, he's 22 years old and he goes to a club in England or Spain or even to a, a higher club in Germany and he sort of falls flat. That's, that's him a little bit ruined. Maybe it might be best for him to wait a season or two to a little bit more development just as he's hitting the very um, bottom of his prime well, you know, the very start of his prime, so around about 24, 25, and then he can make a move and, and have a massive impact. So it's going to be difficult. Um, yeah, I completely forgot he's out of contract. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's going to be really difficult for Schalke to keep hold of him. But I think maybe if they can, they've got a good chance of cementing themselves in that top four place. Yeah, they offered him a contract. Um, he's actually spoken this week um, that he hasn't made up his mind yet what he's going to do at the end of the season. Um, there was, of course, talk last summer that Bayern uh, interested in signing him and that they have done like a pre-contract kind of deal, which is, of course, they can't, uh, couldn't have. But we all know that these kind of things happen. Um, but apparently he said, quite outspoken, he said that um, he hasn't made up his mind, which is actually good news for Schalke. Schalke have offered him a new deal worth 10 million euros uh season, which would catapult him into that top category of Bundesliga players. It would make him the highest paid Schalke player in history. Um, the new deal is set to have an exit clause in the region of 70 million euros. So they're doing that so that basically they're giving him a way out, even by signing a new contract, um, which makes sense, I guess. But I think this is this points really to another thing too. I, we've spoken so much this year, um, or this season about the quality of the league and the distribution of stars. And I think, um, Schalke should do whatever it takes to keep him because, um, we, we need to move towards having more Bundesliga sides keeping, hanging on to their biggest players. Uh, Leipzig are doing it, of course. Um, to a certain extent, they didn't have an option with Keita because of the exit clause, so they had to take the deal that Liverpool offered them for next year. Um, but Leipzig said now that they're not going to sell any of the other top stars if they don't have have to. Um, Bayern, of course, they never do. Dortmund, um, well, the Dembele situation, but you know they are most of the time they were able to hang out to Aubameyang, for example. More clubs need to be able to say no. And I think Schalke needs to be the next club that falls into that category if the Bundesliga doesn't want to descend into just becoming a farmers league, farm, farm team league for, for the, the other European leagues. Um, teams need to be able to resist and say no. Someone like Leon Goretzka is a face, you know, people in Gelsenkirchen identify with him and it'd be such good news for Schalke to hang on to him, not just for Schalke, but for the entire league. It would send a really positive message. And I think that is, that is, I have my fingers crossed that Christian Heidel and I mean, Chris, Christian Heidel as a sporting director, he done wonderful things at Mainz. If anyone can get this job done, it would be him, right? Yeah, I think it would. And, you know, you're quite right. He's, he's, he's got the pedigree of doing it before. So you would hope, and I'm completely in agreement with you. If Schalke have any ambition of, of wanting to be back at the European top table, you need to keep hold of the likes of um, Leon Gotzeka. So, we will just have to wait and see. I think he may go though. Um, I think he may be tempted by the English pound or the, um, or the Spanish euro. So we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. Barcelona is one of the sides apparently interested and it's hard to say no to Barca as, as Dortmund found out the hard way. Yes. It's certainly hard to turn down those two big Spanish clubs when they come and knock in as all the fans of the uh, other teams uh, around Europe and the world uh, all too well know. Uh, but, um, Guys, just one last thing before we move away uh, from Schalke and how well they've been doing. Uh, Manu, it, it, we talked about um, uh, how Benedict uh, Howard is uh, when he was transferred away or or strangely left the club, uh, that we really anticipated uh, things weren't going to go well for Tedesco. But, I mean, they, they, they seem to be fairly strong at the back, um, even without him. Is is that you know, as big a surprise as ever for you? Yeah, I mean... What can I say? Uh, we were pretty wrong about Tedesco. <laughs> this far. Um, he has, he has been doing really well with that back line with Naldo and, 
I think it's interesting that he has uh, decided to play Stambouli as a center back and it's, it's something that hasn't worked out very well for him. So, you know, he's basically showing that he knows a thing or two. Um, interesting too that Hervidas is actually not doing that well in Italy. Uh, so, you know, maybe there was something about that too. But yeah, I, I think, I think, um, Unless something really massively goes wrong for Tedesco, I think he's he's proven a lot of critics wrong, and I wouldn't be too surprised if um, he's manages to to even you know break into that top four. Um, I know that Constantine has claimed that they could finish second. I think that's a step way ahead of them. Um, I don't think that's going to happen, but they have looked very good. Um, this this early on in the season and the league table is so tight um that a lot of things can go well for them but defensively i thought you know he's doing a lot of things very right and that back three is is looking quite solid without hervidas yeah and i think uh, as chris mentioned when they uh, do play the uh, derby uh, that will be uh, as lively as ever uh, and quite interesting but that's not until the 25th of november uh, the three games that they've got before that uh, see them playing a 14th 15th and 16th in wolfsburg freiburg and hamburg so you know another um, another few uh, wins or draws um in those games could really uh, put them in good stead going into the winter break i feel um I, well, I almost feel like we should go back to Manu, but we're not going to let him, I think. Uh, Chris, let's talk about uh, Bayer Leverkusen. Uh, they can't possibly get, you know, you know, into the Champions League, can they? I mean, we we said at the, the start of the season, didn't we, that, well, we laughed at Manu uh, at the the idea that they would be uh, title challengers. But um, a 5-1 victory over Borussia Mönchengladbach after being 1-0 down um, is a hell of a statement. And, yeah, maybe things are, are turning for them. Well, yeah, I mean, Manu said he, he thought they could be up there challenging for the title. I didn't think they would be. Um, they sort of coughed and spluttered early on, but now they're storming up the table. They're currently sitting in ninth and, you know, they're only uh, a couple of points outside the European places. Uh, they've had a fantastic win uh, of this last match day, match day nine. 5-1 against, um, you. John won't like this, um, but the whipping boys at the minute, um, Gladbach, who are taking a hammer in, um, you know, letting considerable goals over a couple of games. Um, but yeah, Leverkusen are doing exceptionally well. And I'm really pleased to see, um, the young guy, Havertes, Kai Havertes is just so good at the moment. Mm. Um, you know, he assisted for the opening three goals. Um, he's everywhere. And you've got to remember, he's only a young lad. I mean, he's 18 years old. Um, and, you know, he is probably one of the most exciting attacking midfielders in the league and probably one of the most exciting in Europe at the moment for his age. Um, and, you know, the likes of, um, the likes of Julian Brandt as well have come up, you know, this season. Was, I think, I think Leverkusen, a little like Schalke last season, just had a really bad time. And, and now, you know, with a change of personnel and a change of philosophy in the way they're playing football, um, they have got they've got something going on there. And they managed to keep hold of a few players. We didn't know that um, would they keep hold of Tar in the summer. They did, and you know, he looks a little bit more composed than he did last season. Remember when he played against Cologne? He was out muscled in the air um, a, a couple of times. He was also out muscled in in this game. Um, last season as well, um, by Gladbach, he was bullied, and I haven't seen that happen um, this season so far. Um, they've got a good double, um, you know, that they play the four-two-three-one. He says two central um, defensive midfielders um, in Baugotlinger and Bender are playing excellently. It's there's a real good buzz at Leverkusen at the moment. I didn't, I didn't think they'd have it because they lost. Um, Hernandez Chicharito went. I thought that would be really, really bad. For for them, but another team that uh, I've got a real good team ethos uh, you know, that seems to be flowing throughout the club, and you can only um, can only praise the management for that and the, and the staff within the club. And yeah, they are looking like they're going to make that climb up. And I sort of thought you would see a familiar sort of ring to the table, so the likes of Dortmund and Bayern and Schalke and Leverkusen, and I didn't know where Leipzig and Hoffenheim would fit in, but um, Schalke are on the way back, and it looks like Leverkusen are coming straight back up there as well. So 
we could see a real good fight if we're looking for six teams or battling for four Champions League places. Um, I think it'd have a, a massive impact for next season's European competition. This season has been a bit poor uh, European-wise in the Champions League and the Europa League for Bundesliga sides. I think a real strong six in Europe would do excellent for the coefficient points. And I'm starting to see that sort of look like what's going to happen for the rest of the season. Yeah, I mean, if, if we talk about uh, this game uh, in particular, it was only the second time that Leverkusen have ever scored five goals in one half uh, in their entire history. And uh, if we look at uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach, who were on the receiving end of five goals, it was the first time in the turn of the century they've actually done so at home. And Manu, we, we need to talk a little bit about Gladbach and just uh, how shambolic they were in that second half. Hecking got it completely wrong, didn't he? Yeah, he did. I mean, this is not the first time this has happened to them this season. I mean, the same, they had a similar result against Dortmund and, um, I'm not sure what, why exactly that is. When you look at their backline and Ginter and Festergaard are good center backs. Um, Sakaria is a very good midfielder who should be able to, keep the shop closed and they have a very good goalkeeper. So it's a result that makes not that much sense. Um, but they were just Leverkusen out random. Um, you know, it was a hundred and 106 kilometers run by Gladbach, 117 uh, kilometers run by uh, Leverkusen. And they were Leverkusen out random, but also outpaced them. Um, you know, every time, Leverkusen got the ball. They were just able to really quickly go into the game pressing, really quickly switch over and hit Gladbach so hard. And that is for me a sign that Gladbach are standing as too high up there in the line. Um, defensively, they're not coordinated really well. And that is, that is a tactical problem, which means it's a coaching problem. And that's, um, so that is definitely on hacking and, um, the way he set up his side, because if you, have two results like that against teams that just, you know, play that kind of counter football. That's, that's usually a sign that you have, um, a bit of a mess in, in your hand tactically. And I think that's definitely what's going on at Gladbach right now. But maybe a, a quick one about Leverkusen, Bryce. I think the losing Chicharito, um, was a big one for them. But when you look at who they brought in, uh, I think bringing in Sven Bender, um, to show up that defensive line that allows them to play that kind of disciplined football and bring in the, the amount of running that they do. Because Sven and Lars Bender are probably the players that cover the field the most um, of any players you will ever see. They're very, very hardworking players. They got two of them. They're basically identical twins, right? And um, I actually think that Alario, the Argentine that they brought in um, to replace Hernandez, is actually a better player. Um, he's a better striker and he allows the, the young guns, uh, Harvard, Folland, uh, Bailey, those really quick attacking midfielders. Um, he's sort of like an anchor for them. And I actually think that that side is better than last season's. I, I mean, we all expected that Brandt would be gone. Harvard's could be gone. Um, they, Tar could be gone and all of that didn't happen. And they actually managed to not reach the Champions League or the Europa League and actually improve on their side. And it's slowly but surely it's showing, you know, Alario came in late and um, took some time to adapt, but um, he's arrived now. Same with Sven Bender. He's a new arrival, of course. So they had to make some change and ad uh, adapt a little bit, but it's, it's slowly but surely it's showing. Well, let's talk about uh, Bender's uh, previous side in uh, Dortmund. Then another um, rather odd and unexpected result after being 2-0 up. Um, Eintracht Frankfurt managed to, to draw back in the space of four minutes uh, to 2-0. Chris, um, I, I know that you've been limited uh, to what you can see over the weekend due to lack of internet, but um, wh what did you make of this result? A, a bit of a shock. Um, some people saying that your know, Bosk has been uh, found out. Well, what would you have to say about that? I don't know if he's being found out as such. Um, you know, we've said a few times that if you're going to play the way that um, Peter Bosch wants to play, you're going to lose a couple or you're going to drop a couple of points occasionally. Uh, they've had a pretty poor run in Europe um, I think that early season um, vitality that we saw throughout the squad has, has taken a bit of a battering at um, Tottenham it's also taken a bit of a battering 
um, against Real Madrid. And I think they're a little low on confidence at the moment. And, and that's showing where, you know, at the moment you go 2-0 up after, what was it, 57 minutes and then... <laughs> They leak a goal only a few minutes later, and then four minutes after that, they leak the two, the second goal. That is a pure confidence thing. Once you are flying high, like they were, if you think back earlier on in the season when they were smashing goals away for fun, uh, it's how you respond when the chips are down. And <laughs> Sahin is a great player. I think he's suffering from a little bit of confidence. Um, one person who isn't is this, we're going to look at positives. Let's look at Maximin and Philip from a Dortmund's positive. Um, I thought he was good again, and he, he's getting his goal. Um, Abamyang's top of the scoring chart still. Uh, there's there's a lot to be happy with, um, but there's just a, an incidence of um, confidence now, and we saw that in what was a pretty disappointing um, fixture away in Cyprus. Uh, mm. There's no way to dress that up. It was a pretty awful um, result. So um, I think they're in a real rut of confidence and it will it'll affect them. Um, I would like, um, if, I was, <laughs> if I was Madderberg's head coach, I don't think you could be facing the um, Pokal champions at a better time than at the moment. I think um, a couple of weeks earlier prior um, and Madderberg would be getting the floor wiped with them on um it's going to be tuesday night isn't it but mm-hmm. now 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 i think they've got a real chance of maybe causing a little upset or you know taking it the distance yeah i would go along with that chris i think mark the book is going to be a tough challenge for them because it's um it, they have something dortmund have something to prove of course they have to kind of show that the results were a little bit of an accident, but I see also that Aubameyang, he has been a little bit ineffective, even more ineffective than he has been before. Pulisic was a bit ineffective. I thought he was poor. Maybe he's the, the realization of that World Cup defeat, um, not reaching the World Cup is kind of slightly sinking in at the moment for him. And, uh, I think Magdeburg, they're second in Liga 3. You know, they are, they're riding a real wave of confidence right now. And, um, that's the kind of side that, that can hurt a big team. Um, I, I, I expected that Dortmund will win this game 2-0, um, which is actually quite a tight result when you consider the gulf of quality between the two teams. Um, but I, I quite agree. I think this is going to be a difficult fixture um, for Dortmund. And I mean, as um, Michael Zorg said to the, the press um, yesterday, um, the, the, the only objective in Magdeburg is to win. Um, that basically, you know, says it right there. Um, but I, you know, to maybe go back to Bosch, I don't think he has been found out yet. You know, we, we remember when he was hired in that long press conference he gave at the Signali Duna Park. And he said, look, this is going to be a difficult system to play. It will take time. And I think he came, they came on, they flew, um, early on this season and they were so impressive, but they were also not playing teams that, we're really challenging them. Niko Kovac is one of the best tactical coaches in the Bundesliga and he's just, he just uh, realized that there were still weaknesses in Bosch's system and he explored them. And I think, you know, with the side still trying to get used to playing the system and all the injuries in the back, I think it was just a matter of time for these poor results to happen. Um, so I think, you know, the Champions League at this point, eh, that's done and over with John. Uh, you were right if you're listening. But I think in the bleak, you know, it's a little stumble, but nothing else. I, I think, you know, when they're, when they're playing against teams that are not as tactically astute or, um, as good as the likes of Leipzig, uh, I think they will just collect the points and keep collecting points and just get on with it. I think it's just a little bit of a, of a tight little, a little stumble that was uh, bound to happen, uh, with the new system. Yeah. I'm sure that when it comes to the weekend and the uh, league, uh, resumes that they'll be happy to be facing Hanover, who actually just picked up their first win in three, rather than uh, taking on either, well, the two big teams around them in RB Leipzig and Bayern Munich, who will face at the weekend, but also face during the week in the uh, Pokal. Uh, how often does this happen? It seems to happen quite a bit, doesn't it? Two teams will play each other in successive days. But um, midweek, we'll talk about the uh, Pokal game uh, first. Uh, it's in Leipzig. Um, Chris, how seriously do you think uh, both sides will take this? I mean, 
obviously the competition is taken fairly seriously in Germany, but obviously when they're taking on each other in a few days, will they have an eye on the league more so than the cup? That's a good question, Bryce. I mean, <laughs> they're battling it out, aren't they? They're only split by um, one point in the league as it stands, buying a second, Leipzig a third. Um, if Leipzig have any ambitions of becoming a title-winning side, um, they need to get experience in winning competitions. So the Pokal offers a, an exceptional um, an exceptional way of them gaining that experience. You're going all the way, the big day out, uh, it's a big weekend out, I was there in May in Berlin. It's, it's a fantastic, um, I'm going to say circus in the nicest way, you know, the pre-match and in the pre-week, the build-up in the city, the way it's um, distributed on television, the way the city fills up, the the weather's normally cracking. It's it's just a, an, an old area that they need to be in, I think. And if they can get experience in a final as that, then they could probably build off that. But saying that, they're going to play Bayern a couple of days later in the league. They're still in the Champions League and they're starting to do well in the Champions League now. So it's, it's a catch-22 situation. Do they throw everything into this competition as well as the Bundesliga and as well as the Champions League. And you know they've not got the greatest squad depth for talent. So if they have one or two players missing, it does show occasionally. Um, it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, the flip side of that, it's it's another one for Bayern. They haven't won it now. You know They didn't win it last season. They went out in their own back garden against um, Dortmund after being ahead at halftime. So they may want to be able to make a statement as well. New manager, some players on the way out might just want to win it for the last time. So I, I think that we will see a strong side from both. I think the strongest side, though, will be for um, for the weekend's game. But I, I can't see this being a reserve match um, with you know reserve-style players or fringe squad fringe players playing in it. I think we're going to see two really good competitive fixtures in two days. And I think this is the... This is a Pokal match to watch. If anybody's thinking, you know, what am I going to watch over the um, over the, this week, or it'll be tonight or the night after, as you listen to this, it's it's the one to watch for me for this. Definitely for the Pokal, and who wins, and that will take some confidence into the weekend. So there's a, a melting pot of scenarios for for this for this fixture. It's going to be a big week for both sides. It's almost like a home and away. Um, so quick in succession. We were, of course, at this game, right, Chris? In May. And, um, what a fantastic atmosphere on two fantastic teams. And, um, I, I had to write a preview for this for foosballstadt.com. And I, I, I was very unsure on which way this could go. I predicted that, you know, it's unpredictable and that Bayern would maybe win it in extra time because they are a bit more experienced in, in that kind of scenario. But I, I you know, it's going to be very tight. Either side could take it. I think they're both going to take both fixtures very serious. No one wants to go out this early in the cup. Um, it's very seldom that two big teams meet each other this early in this competition. This is only the second round. So, you know, neither one wants to be out in the second round of the cup. So this is, they're going to take that all away and then they're going to face each other in, you know, a game that is a must win for both too. If they want to stay, um, in, in touching distance to Borussia Dortmund on top of the table. Um, this is fantastic for German football because you you get to see those two sides playing each other in such key games. And I think, uh, and I'm curious to hear what you think about this, Chris. But this is this game is best, basically the best news for Borussia Dortmund because those two teams are now going to slug it out over 180 minutes, whereas Dortmund has an easy fixture against Magdeburg, an easy fixture next weekend, and they can basically kind of put up their feet a little bit and see these two teams crashing each other more or less in 180 minutes that are going to be very tough maybe more because it could go into extra time yeah I mean I think Dortmund could be the big winners but we've seen um, not just this season but last season as well and probably the season before that that when you expect Borussia Dortmund to take full advantage of a situation unfortunately mm. sometimes they fail to grasp that so I think if they get any sort of complacency coming they need to just look after their own um, games, but I'm sure they'll be really happy that these two are playing each other twice within such a short space. And you know, if they if they have a real good slog out midweek in the Pokal, it could be almost a war of attrition yeah. on the weekend fixture where it ends as a draw. And then if Dortmund can can win, then they will um, be the big winners and they will pull out a little bit of a gap 
from the pair of them, which is exactly what they want because now you know it is in essence a three-way tie for first place at the moment. There's just one point in between first and third, so you know a bad week for either side, and and you you could see a complete reserve, um, reverse order in the table, but. Yeah, I'll go along with you there that Dortmund will have a, a little smile. It's just whether they can take full advantage of that situation. And watching them of late, you know, you really would have thought they would have taken advantage in Cyprus and they didn't. So um, it could be whoever wins this midweek fixture goes into Saturday's game on a high and maybe wins that. And then they're the big winners of the weekend. So it, it's going to be a close one to keep an eye on, not just for the cup competition, but also for the fallout has yeah. in the midweeks, uh, sorry, the weekend's games. Yeah. You usually but, this early on in the, in the cup, there, there isn't big fixtures like this, but this is so different this year. And we have to keep in mind Bayern are without another injury this time to Thomas Müller. So a little bit depleted. There isn't that many options for them up front. So they can't really rotate that much anymore. I, th I think even if you look at the weekend or the weeks coming up uh, for Dortmund and Bayern, uh, and we look even beyond that, I mean, obviously, yes, these two teams will be out crushing each other midweek and then at the weekend while Dortmund are away to Hanover. But even look beyond that, you've got the Champions League and you've got Dortmund at home midweek to Apple and Nicosia. Uh, you're going to have Bayern away to Celtic, which, yes, mm. I'm sure they'll, they'll win that, but that's an away game and a tough game. They'll kind of have to battle it out. And then the two teams face each other in Dortmund on the fourth, you know, so yeah. uh, things are kind of edging towards Dortmund in, in the next few weeks. I'm sure that they're, they're kind of happy with how the, uh, how, how the running up to the international break is, is going to pan out. Well, maybe Bryce, I think this is the moment of truth for your Pankis because, you know, he had three relatively easy fixtures to take right after he took over the side and, um, now he's having two very tough fixtures and a tough away game. And, and, you know, facing Celtic at home is a different proposition than going to play there. It's a very difficult stadium to play at. And then Dortmund. Uh, I think this is really, has Heinkes turned, ha, has turned it around for Bayern? Or is this been just, you know, them playing against three weak sides? And they have to do this without Ribery and Müller and without Neuer. And those are three big faces that are basically missing from the side. So I think um, these next... November 5th is the Dortmund game. I think from now to November 5th, we'll, we'll know quite a bit of how, how your Pankis will go on with Bayern. It's the more, the weeks of truth, um, coming up for them, for sure. In November 4th, that one is at 5.30 mm -hmm. UK time. Uh, very exciting that late Saturday game. But guys, I think that more or less does it uh, for us uh, this week. Uh, Chris, uh, what have you got going on this week, apart from tons of work by the signs of the rest of tonight? Have you got anything you'd like to uh, draw people's attention to? At the minute, I am massively busy with um, with extra work, so um, not just writing, um, video production, editing, etc. So um, I'm unfortunately I'm going to take a little bit of a back seat. However, when the Champions League returns, I should be fingers crossed at um, Celtic Park for um, Bayern's visit, mm. and then the night after at Anfield for Maribor's visit um, to Liverpool. So. And there should be plenty going on uh, um, at um as in match reports-wise and um, minute reporting. Um, so, yeah, keep an eye out for that. Very exciting. Uh, good work and good luck with all that workload. Uh, Manu, what have you got um, coming up and what would you like to draw people's attention to? You, you must be bored without all this European football. Oh uh, yeah, well, Chris says it. First of all, you can follow me uh, at ManuelF, but yeah, um, it's, it's a bit of a you know, we have the two cup games of the Leipzig game. First and foremost, the preview is out. I just actually posted it just before this podcast. I'm working on a Fußballstadt special on Magdeburg, sort of introducing the club for the many Dortmund supporters that follow us. Um, so that will be out too. It is, um, by the time this podcast will come out, actually. But it's a bit of a quiet week, um, other than that, because no European football. That's sad. Um, European football is back and forth for us. So, um, I'm starting the planning, the scheduling for all the previews. Um, we have a couple of new writers that have joined us in the last couple of weeks. So we'll have more previews by more different writers, which is, which is exciting. So yeah. Um, next week is a big week. This week is Pokal and, uh, Bayern Leipzig uh, on Saturday. So look out for those uh, articles and previews coming out on, on those games. 
And, well, I suppose I'd like to draw people's attention to the Colazzo podcast, the Mexican football podcast, which uh, Manu and I just recorded earlier, which also uh, covers a bit of MLS for a change. Mm. But there's uh, while you said that it's a little bit quiet away from the uh, the European front, um, I suppose there's some big Mexican games coming up uh, this weekend, uh, Copa MX as, as well, so uh, people can tune into them. I'm sure there'll be articles and whatnot on uh, football grads. Uh, if you want to Go over to uh, Twitter, uh, at Football Grad Live. You'll be able to get all the updates on there. I've been your host, Bryce Dunn. You can uh, get in touch with me on Twitter, at Bryce Dunn 11. Um, apart from that, guys, we'd l- thanks for tuning in. Uh, we'd love you to go over to iTunes and give us um, some comments or a positive review. Uh, that would go a long way for us. Uh, but that more or less does it. Enjoy the midweek games, and we'll be back uh, very soon to talk everything uh German football. I'll feed us in. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.